Hey, App Growth community, welcome back to the App Growth Show, where we host mobile experts to unlock valuable and actionable insights on how you can grow your app. No matter where you are in your app growth journey, we are here to help you reach your mobile growth goals. Let's dive right into today's episode. Today, we are delighted to welcome Sam Chandola to the show. Sam is a successful entrepreneur who has recently turned tech investor. Previously, Sam ran three tech startups. He was the founder of V2 Games, OpenSpot Technologies, and Pepper Esports, which since have all been acquired. Channeling his many years as a startup operator, Sam founded First Fund with the purpose to help encourage the growth of new startups by becoming the first investor for new founders. He has invested in over 30 technology startups, helping create hundreds of jobs in the process. Get ready to hear an interesting conversation from the point of view of a leading tech investor and some of the criteria he looks for in an entrepreneurial team before making the decision to invest in them. Welcome to another episode of App Growth Show. I'm Fawad Saidi, founder and CEO of App Growth Network, leading North America's app marketing agency. Today, I'm with Sam Chandola. He's the founder and CEO of First Fund. Sam, how are, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Fawad. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. You're welcome. Pleasure to have you here. Sam, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a... Um... I'm a Vancouver-based tech investor. I was previously a tech entrepreneur for many, many years. I ran three tech startups between 2013 and 2020. I was very fortunate to get an exit from all three of them. Um, you know, Two of them were in the mobile gaming and esports vertical, so a lot of exposure to apps and growing apps and scaling them and scaling our growth and user base as well. Since 2020, I've actively become um, a, a pre-seed tech investor investing in new entrepreneurs and in, in new software startups and companies um, as early as the pitch tech stage and you know then helping them learn and grow and hoping that they avoid some of the mistakes that I made when I was running my companies. Well, tell me about some of those mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is too long and we don't have enough time. Yeah, but yeah, we can talk about some specifics for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, every business, every founder, they have to go through a growing pain. They have to make those mistakes, right? Um, and, you know, when they do it next time around, they try to, like, you know, be more smarter and wiser about, like, some of those mistakes, right? Um, so, I mean, what led you to to successful exits in the past? Every time you look at those patterns, what were some of the best decisions or critical decisions? Yeah. Um, if I look, you know, what led to the exits that we had, you know, and in some way, shape or form, we were solving a problem for another entity. And that was the trigger point for the exit. You know, when we had our mobile gaming startup, you know, we scaled that, you know, we raised that we had a large user base. We had some interesting titles. We had some pretty big IP in our portfolio as well. And that was of value to another entity, you know, and that was the trigger point for um, the acquisition. You know, not necessarily the revenues. Yes, the revenues were there and, and, and whatnot, but, Really, was that solving that that problem? When I was looking at my um, my smart parking startup that we launched and scaled, again the value was that we were building the software component, and it turned out that it was solving a big problem for this hardware manufacturer, which was looking for a software component to help fill that gap. Right. Um, so yeah, in in most cases, you know, you you can't really plan for an exit, although you know maybe you can in some situations, but just got to keep doing what you do, you know, in, and keep building your, your, your startup and your portfolio. Keep an eye on the bigger picture and on the market trends. Adapt as need be. Um, and then, 
at some point or the other, you know, opportunities do crop up, right? And then you got to seize them when they do. I guess anybody could exit if you think about it at any price. I mean, it depends on the price and the valuation. Like if an app is not successful or something, and I'm sure somebody else will take over their code for, you know, it's really about... It, it, it is, but, you know, especially with in today's market and with apps, I think the value is coming from an app's users, not just the app itself. The The reality is we live in a world now where building an app is the easy part, right? Like it's, um, you know, like we have so many tools out there now, so many programming languages, so many, so many different options for you to build apps, so many no-code solutions to build apps these days as well, right? So for an acquirer, for an app, you know, if I was to look at it from our perspective, we wouldn't necessarily be doing it for just the code, unless there was something extremely proprietary about it, which you know is possible but very rare, an acquisition would more happen because the app has a very strong user base. You know, it has strong retention. Uh, it has market share, and that market share is valuable to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think are trending these days with apps? See, that's such a apps are such a big, broad spectrum, right? Um, I can tell you what's trending for the developers of apps, and that's incredibly high UA costs. Since uh, you know the the App Store cannot change their policies, and Apple changed their advertising uh, identifier policies and whatnot. And I know a lot of app developers right now who are trying to find new, innovative, creative ways to try to acquire users, right? While while maintaining their ads, and I'm sure you guys probably you know see a lot of that on 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 your side of the spectrum as well. Um, but um, yeah, apps are hard, uh, and apps are hard because you know it's it's a B two C marketplace. Um, consumers have a very limited lifespan, you know, short short attention span. Sorry, um, and there's so many other things out there trying to compete for their attention at the same time. So standing out is hard. Um, having a great marketing plan to be able to acquire users is really really imperative, and and then maintaining and keeping those users is super critical. And then leveraging those users to get more users through virality methods and whatnot, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a linked ecosystem at this point of time. And you need to do all of them to be able to succeed. Sam, every day I come across so many entrepreneurs that they have good actually mission or vision for the world. They love health. They love medical. They love finance. They're passionate about solving a problem. They see a problem and they go ahead with it. They go build an app. They spend anything I've seen from $50,000 to $500,000. And I'm not kidding. There are some that have spent half a million dollars that they, they never ended up launching it. Hey, I come from the mobile gaming world, right? It's not uncommon to spend half a million on the lower end of a budget these days for mobile games, right? Like I've seen developers spend millions on an app and then unfortunately if it didn't work out, you know, had to scrap that. But I know what you're saying. They do. And then the first thing they come to us is I'm like, I've spent that much. I want something that gives me 100,000 or a million or something. These numbers, when they throw, I usually like get frustrated or like red flags about, they don't think about, well, can you help me progressively grow? What's your advice for people like that? Is there an overnight success? Uh, not really. Um, you know, I mean, are there examples of overnight successes that blew up? Yes, of course there are. But for everyone that there is, there's a graveyard of others that did not, right? Um, based on our experience, you know, you know, growing an app is more of a 
a long game and you're kind of coming in, starting small test campaigns, test budgets, understanding your audiences, really understanding your audiences and making sure the algorithms know what's working and what's not working. And then you incrementally scale, you know, your acquisition budgets over a period of time to get there. Um, that's how we've seen, you know, most startups and founders that I've met scale and grow. Um, at a certain point, you know, especially if you're venture backed, you do have that pressure to scale fast, right? But even then, you know, you need to do a lot of groundwork first before you can say, let's start deploying a much higher budget, right? On a per month basis to get there. Yeah, well, that's a good point. So you've been on a different side of the fence, like from somebody who has had his own products to now somebody who is helping people as a VC to get their first fund, right? What criteria do you look for in, in a team or entrepreneurial team when you want to invest in them? Oh, good question. Um, there is uh, there's a few, right? Uh, it boils down to what we call um, first having a very, very strong founding team, right? Team is everything in the early, early stage startup world. We generally look, we like to see co-founding teams rather than individual founders. Um, you know, people who have different skill sets and can complement each other in trying to, to build a business together. It takes a village to raise a startup. And, uh, you know, so you do need a nice rounded co-founding team. And, you know, some of the best companies we have seen and the companies that you've seen survive a lot of challenges are ones with well-rounded, diverse co-founding members. Within them, you know, we look for three specific things, you know, what we call drive, spike, and grit. You know, drive, we define as the ability for founders to go solve problems, be a self-starter, uh, inspire others to join what they're looking to do. Spike is uh, just a huge domain expertise, right? So there's one particular area of expertise in the world that they're like, hey, I spent 15 years working in this industry and I know exactly what the problem this industry faces is because I've been there myself, right? That spike really helps them get that knowledge and that domain expertise and the right network, right, of people who they will need to be able to work with. And the third is great. And great is basically, you know, they've, they've taken rejection a hundred times and every single time, you know, they're willing to get up and and, and start again, because that will happen uh, in the startup world. And it's very important to be able to, to be able to move on after a rejection, right? And after a repeated rejection. So that's that's one on the team side that we look for. And on the other side, we look for is, you know, a, a particular type of startup. We are a pre-seed fund. Um, you know, our goal is to get startups to the point from where they have an idea to the point where they can get product market fit. And at the product market fit stage, they can go raise their seed fund. So we're specifically looking for startups that, you know, are able to achieve PMF within a, a controlled budget time scenario, right? Um, you know, which lends itself well to certain industries. Um, and unfortunately, for certain other industries, it doesn't lend itself very well to. How are apps valued? Uh, in terms of investment or in terms of acquisitions? Um, I guess both. Yeah. Well, the, the second part of the question is easier. So if, from, if purely looking at it from a, um, uh, from a acquisition perspective, you know, it's all about the user base and the lifetime value of that user base, right? And, and what the market share is, as we talked about earlier. That's the easier one. Um, how are apps validate, valued at an early stage? To be very honest with you, if it's a pre-seed investment at an idea pitch stage before traction, we're not valuing the app, we're valuing the founding team. That's what it'll boil down to, right? There will be a certain semblance of market potential and market opportunity, right? That we will run some litmus tests on. We will wanna show, see that, you know, this is, this is in an area where the cost of acquisition is reasonable. So if you're coming to us with a social casino game, for example, right? Like those, those, those UA costs are through the roof. So it's very hard to make a dent in that industry unless you know you come 
with very, very deep pockets. So, uh, you know, but yeah, boils down to founding team at that early stage, market opportunity, and um, what we think the cost is going to be. If you're a little further along, you know, if you have established product market fit, you're looking to raise your seed round, then the fundamentals will come in, right? Retention, cost of acquisition, lifetime value, churn rate, like all, all the regular stuff that you'll see in, um, um, in, in any, you know, B2C industry, so to speak. And Sam, I've been in the app business for overall since 2000 and I would say 13. Yeah. So almost a decade in the app business. And with AGN, I've been running it for four years and probably touched 150 clients so far in the four years of AGN. And I, I've seen people with $30,000. And this is a true example of somebody who actually flew to India met with the app development firm that he was about to hire and today he is running an 80 people a lot of them in like you know in the states um series c almost and you know they're they've grown so it, it, i could you know like it, it's hard to to select a good app development partner you know especially off offshore how many app development companies are out there and we've seen people that they've spent 10 times more than an individual and their still product is buggy. So do you think, I mean, based on that statement and story, I could tell the, the size of development or how much money you spend upfront may or may not be relevant, but the drive, the, you know, the, like the fact that he traveled to actually meet with them in person, not a lot of people do that these days, do they? No, no, they do not. Um, yeah, that's actually one, the the only example that I've heard of um, of a scenario like that so far. Do you guys ever get involved with them to talk to their developers to make sure that they've built a legitimate product and if that developer? Yeah, is... yeah. You know, one of the reasons we said we like to have co-founding teams is you know we do want to see somebody with a technical background in the founding team. Yeah. Um, it is so important. You know, you could outsource your development. That's not a problem. That's totally fine. But if you don't know what's happening under the hood, then that's a recipe for a long-term disaster. So, you know, when, when you have a technical founder in the team, even if, you know, your dev is outsourced, at least you're able to see the code on a daily basis, you're able to fix things, you're able to refactor it to make it robust for the longer term. Um, and that helps significantly. Um, you know, we've had a lot of experiences similar to what you're talking about, where the code didn't work out or there were issues with the apps and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, yeah, the, the only thing, only way we could think of resolving them is to make sure that, you know, you have people on your team who get it, who understand it, you know, and who are as vested as you are in the process as well. What is hot these days in the marketplace? Like I personally seeing a lot of health and medical apps with pandemic. I think people stay home and some gyms were shut down and some yoga studios shut down. So these things were rising. Obviously, there's a lot of them out there. Have you seen anything with... Any specific market that is kind of taking off or? Um, you know, with the pandemic, you know, two industries had a boom, right? One, which you just mentioned, which is the healthcare and fitness uh, vertical. The other is online shopping and e-commerce, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I'm seeing a lot of mobile apps tailored towards shopping and e-commerce, you know, really boomed during the pandemic, which follows the trends because even online e-commerce, you know, shifted dramatically to mobile uh, over the last many years and exploded during the pandemic. I think I was reading a stat somewhere the other day that about 70 or 73% of all online shopping these days is happening on mobile, right? Through a mix between mobile websites and mobile apps, right? 
Um, so those two are probably you know, the verticals from our perspective that we are seeing a, quite a lot of activity in. Um, to an extent, to another extent, you know, also apps that help you connect socially with other people, uh, which you know, I mean, you know, social media has always been massive, so it doesn't surprise anybody for me to say, oh yeah, social media is booming a lot. But definitely, the pandemic, you know, accelerated that pace even more so. Yeah, I think so too. I think some people that used to be working uh, retail jobs, they, I mean, I live in Vancouver just like yourself. I mean, every time I see the delivery guys and the there's so many delivery apps from groceries to pharmacy to medical delivery to every to sub genres of that. Even somebody's trying to dominate a specific sub genre of that. And if they've got the right connections, you know, through pharmacies and medical, there is there is definitely that. And do you think in, in every space, and obviously this is a difficult question, an entrepreneur out there can be super positive and and optimistic that they could be successful let's say health as an example if we do have clients that they're building the next big fitness and health because they have big vision right the next meditation app the next you know and and because of people like this you see the rise of a lot of successful health apps but from a funding perspective what do you think? Sorry, can you repeat that from a what do you mean from a funding perspective? Yeah. From a funding perspective, would you invest in another health app? Would you invest in another delivery app, knowing that the market is really, really um it depends if they're targeting niches or not, right? Um, I think you know it is incredibly hard um to compete with some of the incumbents in certain categories, but there are opportunities in in more niche verticals. And you know, let's be talking about delivery as an example. Yes, we're all very focused on delivery and we're all very used to delivery here in the larger cities, but there are tier two and tier three cities out there where you know, there is no worries. There is no skip the dishes. There is no other grocery delivery app, for example. Um, we are actually our investors in a company called Omnicart that um, helps power delivery in tier two and tier three cities. Uh, they don't do the delivery. They actually work with local entrepreneurs and they give them white label software that they can use to run their own delivery businesses, so to speak. Right. So I, from a funding perspective, yes, the opportunity is there, but there has to be sufficient differentiation and not a huge risk of the incumbents being able to easily outplay you. In fact, if anything else, it needs to be a strategy where you become a very good acquisition target for the existing incumbent players in that vertical. Yeah, so great, great example. Um, can you talk to about some of your success stories? In those success stories, whether it's an app or technology, what went really right? Okay, well, let's talk about you know one of the one of the largest scale opportunities that we did, which is when I was running my mobile game studio, we launched and scale a mobile game to 30 million customers globally. And to be very honest, what went really well with that is we went out and we licensed Pac-Man and we made a mobile game. We made the first mobile puzzle game with the Pac-Man IP on it. Uh, this is back in 2014. Um, and that exploded for us, right? You know, the, the brand was huge. And from an app growth perspective, what really helped us out was if we were spending a dollar to acquire a user, you know, for a non-branded IP game, we were now spending 70 cents to acquire a user for a game that had a very relevant and identifiable brand that the user could relate to, right? And that difference between, you know, the arbitrage between a licensed IP cost and, and, a, and a generic brand cost really allowed us to scale because sometimes that difference is all you need to be able to get your lifetime value over the cost of acquisition. And as long as you can do that, you can just keep scaling infinitely at that point of time. 
So getting a big IP was definitely a, a, a huge win for us when you were looking to scale and, you know, yeah, led us to, to our, one of our largest scaling opportunities that we've ever had. I love that, that level of thinking. Uh, I think coming from like the search background, probably in ASO, when somebody searches for the keyboard Pac-Man, you guys are ranking high. We we, we are. And, um, you, you know, but yeah, but mostly it's about, it's about, you know, you're spending money on requiring users. I could spend a dollar, but because it's a brand that people know and identify, they're more comfortable with saying, okay, download, right? When they see an ad for it. And and that really made a huge difference. It's an overall upfront investment though. That's a bit risk to go ahead and it, pay. It, it is, it is. But you know, there's many ways to structure um, IP deals. Uh, and I could probably, you know, get, if you've licensed so many IPs over the years, like at this point, I can probably write a book on this. Um, you should, why not? Yeah, it's time. Uh, you know, most IP deals will be structured in some sort of a, a in a recoupable minimum guarantee structure, which means you kind of go to the IP owner and say, hey, listen, okay, I guarantee you at least this much amount as a minimum guarantee that you will get for sure. And then you'll get royalties on top of that. However, a couple of things. One, you don't pay the MNG, the minimum guarantee in one go. You're going to spread that. I'm going to pay you 20% upfront, 20%, you know, when, uh, you know, we are a year into development. 20% upon launch and then the last bit, you know, six months after launch, right? And by deferring some part after launch, you're also, you know, hopefully generating revenues and using that to pay off the last bit of the of the MG guarantee anyway, right? That's one. Second, you make these recoupable, which basically goes and say, listen, okay, we are guaranteeing you this amount and let's say you get a 20% royalty on the, on the product. However, you don't get any royalty until I recoup the minimum guarantee that I paid you, right? And now, you know, yes, you made the upfront investment, but you're also not paying any royalties until you make that recoupment back and then the royalty kicks in. So there's an interesting ways to structure IP licensing deals, um, you know, and uh, yes, there is still a little bit of an upfront cost, but at least in our case, you know, we found the payoff to be significantly higher. It is, and maybe after X, X amount of time, we've already made that upfront money. So with that money, you're gonna pay the license, the rest of the licensing fees. And so and you, eventually you said you were, it made 30, 30 million downloads and because Correct. of that, there was a big acquisition. So it's great. Any last word you want to share with our audience today? Um, You know, the only thing I'll say is I know it's an incredibly difficult, you know, business in the beginning and there's lots of road bumps and lots of rocky paths. Um, but going back to one of the things I said we look for, you know, you got to have grit. So I know there's going to be hard days and, and, and tough days and things are not going to work out, but guys, just keep at it. You, you guys are the ones who are the innovators of the 21st century. You're the ones who are building change. You're the ones who are bringing about behavioral change in terms of how people react to the world and how people you know do things in, in life using technology. So props to each and every one of you who's trying to do that. Um, if you guys are in the market for funding, look us up. You know We are pre-seed investors and very, very happy to work with entrepreneurs and work with them. And kudos to you guys for doing what you're doing and just keep at it. That's that's what be my last word at this point. That's awesome, Sam. Thanks a lot for being today's guest. And how do our audience get in touch with you? Yes, so the best way is to do it through our website. So it's the first.vc. Uh, little, you know, contact button there if you just want to reach out to us. Or if you want to send us a pitch, you can submit your pitch directly from the website and it gets to our entire team and we do a weekly review. 
Um, thanks for being today's guest. Again, here's another episode of AppGrowth Show. This is Fawad Saidi, founder and CEO of AppGrowth Network with Sam Chandola, founder of First Fund. Till the next episode, you wish you have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into the AppGrowth Show. We hope you were able to take away some actionable insights in relation to the overall life cycle of an app's journey the acquisition process, and some of the main criteria a tech investor looks for before investing. If you found today's episode to be helpful, please visit appgrowthnetwork.com and book your free call with us today to supercharge your mobile growth. See you in the next episode. Bye for now.